offline, give here when you're here, just give. The church, uh, the church must go on. Thank you, Jesus. The Bible says that it's by the foolishness of preaching that we will be saved. There's only one thing standing between you and hell. It's a preacher. It's a preacher. And uh, it better be a preacher that's going to tell you what thus saith the word of God. Uh, we're going to defer to Ezekiel in a few minutes, but God told him, look, if you don't tell them what I tell you to tell them, their blood will be on your hands. And so I believe that we're living uh, in a time that we need to hear the word of God. It won't always make us feel good, but it's not supposed to. It's supposed to save us, to save us, and, and to keep us saved. And so I would like to turn your attention to one verse of Scripture, <clears throat> Acts chapter 2 and verse 40. Thank you, Pastor. Appreciate it. I've heard it said <laughs> I'm doing my best to convince you not to like me but I've heard it said that preachers never retire and uh, what they mean by that is they never stop preaching as long as they are mentally and physically able to continue ministering the Word of God, which means what happens in the pulpit uh, during the time of a message is preached or a lesson is taught, there are many hours of prayer and preparation that go into a 45-minute or an hour message. Having said that, there are people in this building who God has given gifts, and you think you're too old to use them now. I'm really getting tired of hearing what you used to do for God. I'm sorry, but it's just, it's just eating my lunch. Well, I used to do this, and I used to do that. And uh, you better be careful if God gave you a gift or a talent or an ability or a calling. If you think there's any time in your life, you can just turn that in and say, God, I'm done with that now. God will take back more from you than just that gift or that talent. So the Bible says, and with many other words, words that were not written, words that we are not aware of that he said, but with many other words did he, that being Peter, testify and exhort saying, save yourselves from this untoward or this perverse generation. Save yourselves. Praise God. I know you can't shake hands. You're not even close enough to touch elbows. So just look at one another before you're seated. 
just nod. I heard Brother Arnold say one time, Jeff Arnold, he, he said many years ago because of the Times Conference in Louisiana, he said, I'm going to stop praying for people because it seemed like everybody I pray for, they die. Yeah, my wife remembers that. <laughs> so when he called for a prayer line, everybody ran in the opposite direction. <laughs> right now, you can pray for somebody and give them something. You don't want to give them, so we're being very careful about that. Uh, not to do that. But the words save yourselves from this unto our generation are very cogent words. Uh, for those who were present on the day of Pentecost and heard the message that Peter preached, then they're equally cogent for you and I that are living nearly 2,000 years later. The 17th chapter of Revelation speaks of 10 kings that are represented by ten horns of a beast. And the Bible says in Revelation 17 and 14, these shall make war with the Lamb. And the Lamb, that's a big L, we know that's Jesus. And the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. This is speaking, of course, of Jewish believers, so don't get too upset because uh, most of us believe that we will no longer be in the earth during this time called Great Tribulation. So this is a reference to Jewish believers who have turned to the Lamb of God as their Savior, and they will be with the Lord, be with the Lamb of God, and they will be called, chosen, and faithful. So the commitment unto Jesus Christ and the things that they are facing in the earth and the persecution uh, that will come to them as a result of these ten kings, it required them not just to be called and chosen, but it also required them in spite of the conditions that they were living in, in spite of uh, many of them even being martyred for Christ, it required them to also be faithful, to be faithful. So the reason I wanted to relate to this is because why would we think for one moment that it would take anything less than this for us who are living in the kind of world that we are living in? Why would we think that it would take anything less than being called, being chosen, and also faithful for us to make it to the end living in the kind of world that we are living in. If you've ever read the book of Ezekiel, and I, I would only imagine that most of you have, then you know that the prophet preached unto a nation, or to nations, plural, who were as depraved and as wicked as any people who had ever lived since the beginning of time. Unfortunately, this also included the people of God or the people of Israel, the Jewish people. The 14th chapter of Ezekiel illustrates just how wicked the Jewish people had become and the effect that it had on virtually everyone 
everyone. Ezekiel 14, 14 says, Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. Even if Daniel and Noah and Job were alive right now, God is telling this prophet, they would only be able to save their own souls. Think about what God said to the prophet. And I thought about Noah and Daniel and Job. And what did they have in common? All three of them. They lived under different circumstances. They endured different trials, different tribulations, different pains and struggles in life. They lived during different periods of time. But what did all three of these men have in common one with another? What they had in common was they were determined to remain faithful to God. No matter what happened, no matter what anybody else did, they were determined. And if you think about Noah, come on. Noah lived in a world where he was the only one. And he led his sons, their wives, and his wife. They were the only ones living for God. The only ones living for God. And yet they lived faithfully for God. And they built an ark that saved them and the animals of the world. So having read this, I wondered uh, if God perhaps spoke this to Ezekiel because the prophet felt like he had failed God. I mean, he had visions and dreams, and he saw things that was very difficult for him to even describe or explain. And yet not one soul was saved. Not one Hebrew repented. Nobody came back to God. So I wondered, God, did you tell the prophet this? Because he felt like an abject failure in spite of the prophecies and the anointing that was upon his life. However, the Lord has informed me that the reason for his deference to Noah, Daniel, and Job unto Ezekiel had greater implications than the prophet's feelings of failure. And so he repeated it three more times. If you read something in the Word of God one time, it is forever settled. Trust me. The Word of God is forever settled. It is eternal. It will never return void. But when he repeats something more than once, this was spoken four different times to the prophet. In the 15th verse, he said, If I cause noisome beasts to pass through the land, and they spoil it, so that it be desolate, that no man may pass through because of the beast. Though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall neither deliver sons nor daughters. They only shall be delivered, but the land shall be desolate. If you think that hasn't that hasn't struck a, a chord in my soul. An arrow has been sent into my heart when it said they won't even be able to save their own children. They won't even be able to save their own sons and daughters. Or if I bring a sword upon the land and say, sword, go through the land so that I cut off man and beast from it. Though these three men were in it, 
As I live, saith the Lord God, they shall neither deliver sons nor daughters, but they only shall be delivered themselves. And one final time, he says, or if I send pestilence into the land and pour out my fury upon it in blood to cut off from it man and beast. Though Daniel, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall neither deliver son nor daughter. They shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. One of the things that I believe God is wanting to convey unto his people through this message is the absolute seriousness of the times in which we are living. Because I believe that many of God's people have yet to grasp, yet to grasp and acknowledge the momentous nature of what is occurring in our world, thinking that this too shall pass and things will soon return to normal. The post-COVID world will not be the same as the pre-COVID world. They're already designing a biometric system that will eliminate credit cards and cash. All you have to do is walk in a building and buy something and the transaction will be automatically made. If you think this is 30 years down the road, you were wrong. It is on the horizon and what has brought it to be COVID-19. What we do not understand is that the world from which... Uh, the redeemed of God will be raptured. The world that the church will be taken out of is the same world that will immediately be plunged into darkness. That world that the church is going to leave will immediately plunge headlong into great tribulation. Your neighbors your loved ones, the people you work with, the people you pass on the street every day as soon as the church is gone, all hell is going to break loose on this planet. The pre-tribulation world will be so evil, it will be so wicked, it will be so corrupt that it will literally be beyond redemption. It will not suddenly get that way when we're gone. It will not suddenly get darker when the church leaves. It's already going to be that way when we leave. So based on prophetic evidence, the world that you read about in the book of Revelation is the same world that we are living in today. That could not have been said in any other time. But it can be said today. Because it is quickly reaching a depth of depravity that's not only unimaginable. It will soon reach a point that God will no longer be able to tolerate it. 
And when it reaches this depth of profound rebellion, even the presence of a blood-bought apostolic church will be unable to turn the hearts of people toward God. When it reaches that point, now the prophets tell us there's going to be a latter day, latter rain outpouring of the Holy Ghost. If you watched Brother Stone King's uh, conversation recently, he said that it will be seven times greater than the Book of Acts revival. Our churches will not be able to hold it. I cannot wait for that day, I'm telling you. But we've got to endure until then. If I'm alive, I want to be a part of it. I don't want to be sitting on the sideline. Here it's happening over there and over there, but not here. Somebody's going to have to be praying. Somebody's going to have to be living right. Somebody's going to have to be seeking God. And when this happens, that's when God is going to take his church out of this world. And we are very, very quickly approaching this prophetic point of no return. When the world reaches this predicted saturation point, mankind will plunge into a darkness like the world has never known before. And I can't even imagine what it is going to be like. And if you're ever going to get serious about living for God, you better get serious right now. It's never going to get any easier to live for God. It's only going to become more challenging. It's only going to become more difficult for people to live right in a world that's filled with such wickedness. But I'm amazed that after all that has happened globally over the last six months, uh, that many of God's people are still on the sidelines. They're still using... Now, I mean, I guess now we have, for the first time in our lives, we have a real valid excuse not to go to church. I am not cavalier about the seriousness of COVID, how dangerous it is, how, how infectious and contagious that it is by no means. And I believe that every precaution should be made uh, when we are together uh, to socially distance ourselves and wear masks, whatever we have to do to prevent that disease. We're not immune from it. Many of God's people have perished as a result of it. Many preachers have died. Preachers' wives have died. Um, but I believe that many of God's people are on the sidelines spiritually. We are very quickly approaching a time when apostolic believers will not be able to endure in this world. Listen to what I'm telling you. We're approaching a time when apostolic believers, now I'm not referring to any other uh, doctrine of Christianity, but apostolic believers, one God, baptized in Jesus' name, Holy Ghost-filled believers, will not be able to endure in this world without a close relationship with God and without a strong anointed and vibrant prayer life if you think you're going to be the exception you are wrong say well I ain't prayed in three months and I'm in church today uh huh are you in church are you in a building 
because there is a difference. There's a big difference between being in the church and in the building. So Apostle Paul exhorted believers uh, very stringently and firmly, I might add, in the sixth chapter of Ephesians to put on the whole armor of God. And we talked about that, and, and we have taught on that and preached on that. And what I get in the spirit is that there's still people in their mind and heart saying, yeah, I'm just not into spiritual warfare. You go ahead and put the armor on and fight against the devil and wrestle with principalities and powers. I'm not, it's really not my cup of tea. That's really not my thing. I want you to tell me in the Bible where it says that it's optional. And so the reason that Paul gave this admonition to the Ephesians was not so he could present a different uh, uh, avenue or parameter of prayer. It was because if you don't do this, you're going to be lost. If you don't learn to pray this way, you're not going to make it. If you don't put on the armor and go to war with the devil, your soul is going to be lulled to sleep and you're going to be lost. And if the world that they lived in was that bad, what about the world that we're living in right now? I can't tell you how many times I've been in prayer and it seemed like the ceiling was brass and God had turned off the telephone and I decided, hey, I know what I'll do. I'll just put on a little armor and do a little spiritual warfare and suddenly heaven opens up. The anointing begins to fall because the only reason I didn't get in was because of devils in the first place. The only thing keeping me out of the holiest of holies was the devils in the first place. The only thing stopping you from revival and from operating in the gifts is the spirit of darkness. And so Peter's admonition, think about it to people that hadn't even obeyed Acts 2.38 yet. Save yourselves from this untoward generation. relevant then and is relevant now. But this admonition was not fulfilled by them merely by obeying Acts 2.38. Years later, Jude would write in Jude 1 and 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints earnestly contend earnestly contend ah, come on earnestly contend you gotta contend for this amen you gotta earnestly contend for the faith you can't just let that which just blows by you like a breeze amen you gotta contend for it you gotta fight for it you gotta dig for it you gotta want it you gotta hunger for it you gotta desire it There's so many things against the church. You want to know why it's hard sometimes to pray? Why you just don't fall into the lap of Jesus and speak in tongues for the next two hours? 
because of principalities and powers that are there to resist you. You want to talk to God and say, not today. You're not going to get in today. We're not going to let you in today. We're going to hold you off today. We're going to make you feel like dirt today. We're going to make you feel like scum today. You're not going to get in the spirit today. No, not today. We live in a world that has over 2 billion professing Christians that adhere to a false doctrine and narrative that will literally damn their souls to hell and you wonder why it's hard sometimes to pray? This world, folks, not going to go back to normal. This world will soon experience catastrophic global destruction. I don't plan on being here. But we have to understand that this is the world we're living in. And so does anybody in this room see the need for apostolic believers today to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. It's not just believing in one God or in Acts 2.38. It's living it every day. It's walking in the Spirit every day. The Constitution of the United States of America has provided the church, the American church, with a covering. We have been covered by the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, and the Constitution of the United States. The rest of the world has not experienced this. But we have in America a nation that was founded under God and under the principles of biblical truth. But that covering could soon be taken away. I say that because I believe that it will eventually. I don't know if it's going to be soon or what, but it will eventually be taken away. And when it's taken away, the church will no longer be protected by the conscience of a moral society or by the First Amendment of the United States Constitution. That covering will be gone never to return again. Jeremiah wrote in 12 and 5, If thou hast run with the footmen, and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with horses if you can't live this under the protective covering of a moral society and the Constitution of the United States? What do you think you're going to do when this covering is taken away? If you won't go to church, the house of God, because of the possibility of getting COVID-19, what are you going to do when they're standing at your street corner saying, we're going to kill you if you try to go to church today? You say, oh, that's never going to happen. I'm not just preaching out of my head. I'm telling you what God told me to tell you. 
If you can't pray under this covering, God knows you'll never be able to pray when this covering is removed. If you can't touch God now, you'll never be able to reach God then. And if the land, in the land of peace, wherein thou trustest, they wearied thee, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of Jordan? God has sent me here to try to awaken the people of God to the seriousness of the hour in which we are living and tell you that prayer is no longer a mandate. It is now a necessity. Faithfulness is no longer an option that is on the table. It is required for those who hope to have any kind of spiritual sustainability and spiritual power in this collapsing world. Peter told them on the day of Pentecost when they asked men and brethren, what shall we do? Acts 2.38, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. So without doubt, without question, I'm preaching to people who have repented of their sins. Not just once. I'm preaching to people who have been baptized in the name of Jesus. I'm going to tell you right now, if you've ever heard this message one time, that's all God owes you. If you heard it twice and you ain't done it, you heard it five times and you haven't done it. If you're online and you've heard it a hundred times and you haven't done it, better be careful. I know that I'm speaking to people who have received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Not just by the one-time evidence of speaking in other tongues, but you speak in tongues every single day. There's no doubt people watching online we have never met. People who have been duped by the false narrative that is... Uh, Prophet in Christianity today that all you have to do is believe. Listen, you can believe whatever you want. You can believe anything you want. There's all kind of different gospels out there, but I'm looking at one in Acts 2, 38 and 39 that Peter preached, and he had the keys to the kingdom. So I encourage everyone, if you have not yet been baptized in the name of Jesus and received the Holy Ghost. There's been a guy at the gym. I've seen him quite a number of times. 
And I knew he was a Christian of some sort because he is the kind of person that when he talks, he, he, he yells. You ever been around? They're real loud. Everybody hears. So I had the opportunity to run into him in the locker room the other day, and, and I introduced myself. We got to talking. This man, I won't even tell you what kind of church he goes to. He goes to a denominal church that all you have to do is believe it to be saved. And once you're saved, you can even be lost, eternal Eternal security and all that jazz. He has the foulest mouth. The foulest mouth. It's horrible. And uh, I'm praying for him right now. My name is Rod. I'm praying for him. That God will give me the opportunity to share this wonderful truth with him. Before anybody even had the chance to obey Peter's message, Peter told them, save yourselves. you got to save yourselves. Do you know the obedience to the gospel can save your soul? But after that, it's on you to save yourself. After the Lord has done everything he can possibly do and sent you a preacher, and told you what you need to do. After you've done what the preacher told you to do now, it's on you to save yourself. Hebrews chapter 2, 1 through 3, Wherefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. But the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. The Hebrew word for, for neglect is amelio, and it means careless or without concern. If you're not concerned about your soul, nobody else will be. If you're careless with your spiritual life, that's what... The writer to Hebrews is, is telling us. And isn't this the spirit? You're not supposed to put your fingers in your mouth nowadays. But sometimes you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Sister Warner came in, her temperature was 94 point something. I said, we need to do CPR on this woman. She's about to die on us right here. <laughs> so you don't have to abandon the truth in order to be lost. All you have to do is neglect the truth. You don't have to leave the church. This is a real big misnomer. You don't have to leave the church in order to be backslid. All you have to do is stop talking to God. Just stop praying. I saw on YouTube last night, and I'm going to go back and look at it. Brother Stone King has a number of messages on uncut hair. I've seen, I've heard him teach on it before, but uh, I want to hear him again teach on this. And uh, I saw while I was perusing the different messages he has on YouTube about a woman not cutting her hair. Uh, I saw down below that there is an apostolic woman who put it on YouTube 
cutting her hair so that every apostolic woman could watch her cutting her hair. You want to talk about blasphemy? That's blasphemy. All you have to do to be backslidden, folks, is just quit praying. Just quit talking to God. So while Peter preached to multitudes, his message was to each individual heart and soul. I think that a lot of people, I don't think, it, I, I believe this. I suppose it's debatable. But I believe that a lot of people today have shifted or diverted their faith from God to the church, thinking the church will save me. The church is not your savior. The church is not your healer. The church is not your deliverer. Jesus is. But a lot of people have shifted their faith. I'll just go to church and the church will save me. So after nine destructive plagues had ravaged the land of Egypt, Israel is still in bondage. Of course, uh, God would send one final plague, which would secure their final release. The nation of Israel, after the tenth and final plague, would march as one people triumphantly out of Egypt. To this day, the coming out of Egypt of the children of Israel serve as a type. Israel uh, is a type, and Egypt is a type. Egypt is sin. We come out of sin. Egypt came out of, or Israel came out of Egypt, and it's a very strong biblical type unto this day. But while Israel's departure was guaranteed, Moses absolutely guaranteed them after this tenth plague, we're going, we're, we're out of here now. The life of every firstborn Jew was not guaranteed. <clears throat> I want you to put this in context. They were guaranteed deliverance from Egypt. They were promised that. This is going to happen. This is, this, is, this is cut and dried. But the life of every firstborn is not promised if you do nothing. Look at them as two separate events. Promise you deliverance, but I can't promise the firstborn that unless you do what I'm going to tell you to do. So the salvation of the firstborn would depend on each family doing something separate on their own in the privacy of their own home. Exodus 17, verse 3, Speak ye unto the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And that really stuck out to me, a lamb for a house. So the question is, does your house have a lamb at any time on any day will anybody hear the voice of prayer and supplication coming from within your house does your house have a lamb I go to church that's not my question does your house have a lamb and if the household verse 4 be too little for the lamb let him and his neighbor next unto his house Take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out of the sheep or from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it unto the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly 
of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. The whole congregation is going to kill it. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. It has been mentioned here multiple times over the past couple of months that God is calling the church to pray. Are you the church? Have you answered the call? He's not just calling us to pray when we're together. He's calling us to pray. You understand what I'm saying, right? So even though God told the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel that they would kill this lamb in the evening, it was the responsibility of each family to kill their own lamb and apply their own blood to the doorpost and to the lintel of their doorway. Because if you wanted to save the firstborn, you can sit there and say, Look, I'm not the firstborn. I'm not sweating this. See, that's the attitude of a lot of apostolics today. I'm not sweating this. You're all going to leave and, and, and go out of Egypt and, and go to the promised land, but if you want the firstborn in this house to go with you, you're going to kill this lamb and offer its blood on the doorpost, strike it with hyssop to save the firstborn. You see, we, got, we, we have to be careful. We don't get caught up in this promise of heaven and forget about the fact that there's a lot of people that are not ready to go yet. <clears throat> save yourselves. It's almost like Peter was trumpeting a similar message. That's what it appears to me like. That's what Moses was telling the children of Israel. And so, if you obey this gospel, you will be born into and you will become part of a very powerful church. But that does not negate your personal responsibility. And while there is tremendous strength that can be gained from one another, where two or three are gathered in my name, he said, I will be in the midst of them. A threefold cord is not easily broken. Being in one mind and one accord, there's so many things we could talk about, the spiritual unity and, and the, and, and the uh, strength and power that it brings us. It's very important that we do not become solely dependent on the strength of faith and the anointing of others. Philippians 2.12, wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The Greek word for fear is phobu, and it means fear, terror, reverence, respect, honor. And we understand that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the beginning of knowledge. The Greek word for trembling is tromu. It means that one literally trembles. Trembles as a result of their profound respect and reverence and dread of God. Why did, why did Paul say that? He said, if I can paraphrase, he said, you have always obeyed in my presence, but when I'm not around, but when I'm not here anymore, you have to work out your own salvation. You got to do what you got to do. If you got to if you got to throw your phone and tablet and computer and anything else connected to the internet away, then you got to do it. You got to cancel your next Netflix uh, membership to be saved and cancel it when you get home. You got to work out your own salvation. Now, I know I'm probably going to be misunderstood, and I ought to have enough sense to just skip over this. <clears throat> but I've never been accused of having a lot of sense or being too smart. So, Peter and John was arrested in. Uh, the third chapter of Acts. They were released in the fourth chapter. Uh, they were ordered in a very firm and very strong, with very strong language, not to ever speak or teach again in the name of Jesus Christ. And to do so would result in uh, very serious consequences. And so they barely escaped that particular encounter with the Sanhedrin uh, without being beaten or even possibly worse. And upon their release, the Bible says uh, they went under their own company. They went to their own company, to fellow believers. When they got there, and I'm going to say something, just hold on, I'll try to fix what I'm getting ready to break in a moment. But when they got there, they didn't have a pity party. I know this sounds harsh, but I know what I'm talking about because I have been the honored guest at many pity parties. Oh, yeah. Here's the guest. Poor him. Poor me. Come in with a sad face, sad sack. Everybody feeling sorry for me. I know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm not, I'm not talking about a pity party when I've never been to one before. Because I get down, I get discouraged, I get frustrated. I, I am made out of the same junk that you are. But what I learned a long time ago is that, because uh, I've been to enough of these things to know that they don't help you very much, and to know that, okay, I've been there, but I'm not going to stay there. Y'all stay and celebrate, but I, I got somewhere else that I need to be. <laughs> and so you need to learn the difference. Right now and here, right here and now, you need to learn the difference between conviction and condemnation. Amen. 
There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction comes from the Holy Ghost. It is to nudge you and move you to a place of repentance. But condemnation comes from the devil. Conviction has a cure. You simply repent. Say, God, I was an idiot. Please forgive me. But condemnation becomes a lifestyle. It's a way of living. It becomes your zip code. It becomes your address. It becomes who you are every day. And it doesn't matter who you're around. You're under condemnation. And I thought about it in prayer this morning when when Moses walked into Pharaoh's court the first time. You know what he said to him? Let my people go. Some of you need to be delivered of the spirit of condemnation. Because condemnation turns you into a victim. And once you accept victim status, once you become a victim, so Peter and John didn't go to a pity party. They went to a prayer meeting. Maybe you wouldn't be so down if you went to a prayer meeting. Wouldn't, maybe you wouldn't be so discouraged if you went to a prayer meeting. Your countenance is very important. It's extremely important. It's important whether you're approaching God or whether you're fighting against the devil. When approaching the court of God, you prostrate yourself. Worship is bowing down. But when you're fighting against spirits, you have to stand up. You see, there's no victory at the pity party. No one ever wins at the pity party. No one ever comes out at the pity party. It all happens at the prayer meeting. So when you're approaching the court of God, you go ahead and bow down. But Paul said, put on the whole armor of God in Ephesians 6, 11, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. When you have a countenance of defeat, you know, come on, every one of us, once in a while, bears a little shame and discouragement and Maybe there's five minutes out of the day we'll accept condemnation, but we don't stay there. You gotta wipe that smug off your face. You gotta wipe your come on, you gotta you gotta pick yourself up and you gotta stand up. Say, devil, you're not my God, you're not my healer, you're not my savior. I don't bow to you, I don't capitulate to you, I don't serve you. You didn't save me. You didn't heal me. You've never blessed me. You're always against me. So when you're around, I'm going to stand up. When you come around, I'm going to get up. I don't care how tired, how beaten down I am, how discouraged I am. I'm going to get up, devil. Look at this. I 
I'm not going to bow to you. Now, I know what I'm preaching is not easy because some of y'all have been stuck in this for so long, it's not going to be easy to get out. You've been this way since you were a kid and a teenager. It's not going to be easy, but it is possible with God. Every pity party ends the same, more shame, more condemnation. It's always the same, more disappointment. Uh-huh. You know, people that are around you like that, always putting you down, trying to make you feel ashamed for living right and dressing right. Don't argue with them. You got to talk to that spirit. You got to confront that spirit. You got to put on the armor, stand up and say, I'm not taking that anymore. Acts 4, 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. This is what they prayed. Now, Lord, behold their threatenings. And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Peter and, and, and John weren't just praying for themselves. Every preacher out there, every saint of God out there, saying that they may speak the word with boldness by stretching forth thy hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. Perhaps, perhaps what they didn't pray is just as important as what they did pray. They didn't pray that God would shut the Sanhedrin down. The Sanhedrin crucified their Lord and Savior. They didn't pray that God would kill Caiaphas or Annas or Pilate. They didn't pray for protection even. They just prayed, Lord, give us the boldness to wade through this mess and keep on preaching the gospel and the reason the reason that we're telling you this is because there's going to come a day when we're going to need to pray exactly the same thing When they had prayed, verse 31, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them, here's the result, the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul, neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. That's what comes out of a prayer meeting. Doesn't come out of a pity party, comes out of a prayer meeting. And with great power, gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. But it's not fair. I want you to say that. It's not fair. You're right. It's not. But you see, this is the song, the lyrics to the song of a victim. 
messes the whole thing. It's not fair. Why did Job go through what he went through? Come on, you know why. You're just afraid to say it because I might be referring to something else. He went through what he went through so God could prove a point with the devil. Am I wrong? So Job had to lose everything. The death of his ten children, his wife backslid, his three friends betrayed him. Then he got sick with boils for a whole year just so that God could prove to the devil, there's a man down there that will serve me even if I don't bless him. So God used Job to prove a point to the devil. You want to know why God lets us go through a few things so the devil can see? I've got a people that are blood-bought. I've got a church that will serve me no matter what kind of hell you put them through. You might say, God, use somebody else as an example. Amen. God's going to use who he's going to use. So God wanted to reveal himself to Nebuchadnezzar as the one true God. In a world that worshipped hundreds of false gods. But God wanted to reveal himself to Nebuchadnezzar. Amen. The Babylonians and the, and the, of the Chaldees. And how did he choose to do it? He could have chosen a lot of different ways. But he said, I'm going to let Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be thrown into a fiery furnace that's been hotted seven times than it's ever been before to the point that the very, the very furnace itself would begin to melt because I want to prove to Nebuchadnezzar, but I'm going to use three faithful men, three faithful boys. I'm going to use three of the faithful and three of the called and three of the chosen. Amen. To reveal. You want this world to have a revelation of one God? We're going to have to go through some stuff. And when your neighbor sees that you're still praising God, and when your coworker sees you're still going to church, and when your family sees you're still lifting up and blessing the name of Jesus, and there's no anger or wrath in your heart toward God, it's going to show them that there is one true God. When Trinity begins to collapse, and those Christians with a false doctrine begins to turn on one another, there's going to be an apostolic church that will remain true to God. All right, God. Musicians, would you join me, please? It's always a good sign when the preacher calls for the musicians and the worship team. God you know what if, 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 if there are sunshine and calm winds in your life right now you need to determine who you are you say why because when the storm comes that is who you're going to be you need to figure out who you are right now 
in a calm sea because when all hell breaks loose, that's the man you're going to be. That's the woman you're going to be. So I ask you, especially those who have been around for a while, what did we expect the pre-tribulation world to be like? Do we expect people marching down the street dressed like Mickey Mouse? Huh? They're marching, but they're not dressed up in Mickey Mouse costumes. Matthew 24, 37. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. What was it like? In the days preceding the flood, Genesis 6, 5, and 6, God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. I'm telling you right now, you don't have to believe me, but the world that the church is going to be raptured out of will be a world that is violent, a world that is corrupt. You want to know how, why everything is turned upside down right now? You want to know why? Because the Bible says they will call evil good and good evil. That will be a reversal, and we're seeing it happen in our society today. Mark 8, 38, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Is that talking about the rapture? Oh, yeah. So adversity will only make us stronger or it will weaken us. I don't know if you know how steel is tempered or not, but it's much the same way that God tempers us. So either adversity will strengthen us or weaken us, make us or break us. Paul said, 2 Corinthians 4, 8, 9, and we've read this hundreds of times, we are troubled on every side. I want you to think about it now. When we look to the front of us and we look to the back, when we look to the right, left, excuse me, and right, there's trouble. When I look up, there's trouble. When I look down, there's trouble. We are troubled on every side, yet, here it is, not distressed. We're holding our own. We're fighting a good fight of faith. We're staying true to God. We're not getting depressed and abreast and, and beat down. We're, we're hanging in there. He said we're perplexed, scratching our head. A lot of things we don't understand and can't figure out. But we are not in despair. We're praying. We're not having pity parties. We're having church. We're not having pity parties. Then he said, persecuted. Persecuted.
persecuted. You know what really touched me? Because I've, I've never experienced persecution. Never. I was bullied when I was a kid a little bit, but who wasn't? It only made me better than who I am. I'm not suggesting we go bully people to try to make them better. That's not what I'm saying. But a number of years ago when the war was going on in uh, the Middle East, I read about apostolic Christians who were living in the midst of the war-torn, war-torn city of Mosul. Apostolic men and women that if they were ever caught by any of the Islamists that were there, they would have been tortured and killed immediately. And I thought, what in the world do I have to complain about? How can I complain? It's 95 and 100% humidity. Praise God. Nobody's trying to kill me or my wife or my brothers and sisters in Christ. I can go to church without persecution or being arrested. You need to get things in perspective, church. Paul said persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, yes, but not destroyed. Praise God. You stand with me, please. I'm not trying to play down and diminish the things you go through, not by any means. Uh, I know that we endure uh, spiritual pain, physical pain, disappointment, betrayal, rejection. I mean, so many things uh, that you're experiencing right now. There's uh, personal loss, people die, and I just... I mean, the stuff you got to go through in life is, is just horrible. But I'd rather go through it with Jesus than without him. I really would. I'd rather go through it with a praise on my lips uh, and, and instead of complaining all the time. You know, I, I'm at that point when somebody says, how you doing? I got a list. <laughs> and every day almost I'm adding something else to the list. I was coming down the steps yesterday carrying a box. Sister Taylor was concerned about me because I was grunting. I said, oh, it's just my hip. It's just, it's just my hip is hurting. Other than that, I'm fine. I'd rather praise God with pain in my hip. I'd rather have God in my life, a little pain in my body here and there, than not. So the Bible gives us, uh, it really gives us some good advice in Psalms 47 and 1. And it says, clap your hands, or it actually says, oh, clap your hands. All ye people, shout unto God with the voice of triumph. And if there's anybody right now that in your mind you're thinking, I don't have anything to shout over. Oh, 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 oh. oh. Because I see so many people walk in the house of God and remain silent through the service because you don't have anything to shout about. You've got a list of reasons not to shout and not to clap and not to praise. I get that. If you think I don't have a similar list, you're wrong. But the psalmist said, those that should clap, who are they? 
all ye people. Everybody. Everybody ought to clap. Everybody ought to applaud the greatness of God. I know one thing, I'd rather clap my hands and wring them in anxiety and worry to shout unto God. Hallelujah. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? You know, God laughs at the same stuff. You think God don't laugh. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Shout unto God. But here's the deal. Even our feeble shouting is only done when everybody else is shouting. But the psalmist is saying that your shout ought to be personal. It ought to be between you and God. Not just because everybody else is shouting. And we could do that. We could get everybody to shout. It would be loud. And you might, you might shout a little bit. But I doubt it if you would really, really let it out. Your shout should be unto God. And the psalmist said, when you do it, shout with the voice of triumph. Look, I understand all the hell you're going through right now. I understand that things could be a thousand times better than they are right now. This is not written to people on the mountaintop. It's written to everybody. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Not with the voice of anguish. Not with the voice of defeat. Not with the voice of despair. Not with the voice of a victim. With the voice of triumph. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! Woo! Thank you, Jesus! Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Who causes us to triumph in Christ. This is our testimony. This is our witness. This is who we are. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. My neighbor next door sits out in his comfortable outdoor chairs in the morning. I went up driveway talking to him this morning. He's he is so upset about the politics and this and that and what are we gonna do? And if this goes wrong, what's gonna happen? You know what I told him? I said, I'm glad I'm a part of a kingdom that's not of this world. 
Because when this kingdom falls apart, I'm a part of a kingdom of which the Bible says shall never end. I don't like the aches and pains. I don't like the wrinkles that are appearing in my face. I don't like the man that looks back at me from the mirror in the morning. But I'm glad that I can go through this with God in my life. Hallelujah. You're not going to take my shout. You need to take your shout back. You need to get your shout back. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It's been so long since some of you have shouted, you forgot how. You've been a victim for so long. You forgot how to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, rejoice. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. That's why you're so weak, you don't have any joy. You don't have joy because you're strong. You have strength because you have joy. You know, all the stuff the Lord talked to the Samaritan woman about, about the well, and if you drink the waters of this well, you'll never thirst again and all that stuff. Isaiah said, with joy shall ye draw water. Mm. Ha, ha, ha. Out of the wells of salvation. The reason you, you're dry is because you don't have anything to draw with. There's refreshing, reviving, living waters in the well, but you can't reach them because you don't have anything to draw with. Say, so well, you don't know what I've been through. We ought to sit down and compare notes sometime. Yeah, we'll compare notes sometime. Oh, God. God wants to help you. God wants to bless you. God, God's preparing us right now to be the church He wants us to be now and in the days to come. Praise God. Worship team, lead us in some praise. Give us the opportunity. Oh, lift up your voice and sing for joy. Give us the chance. Give us the opportunity. Blow the trumpet and shout with praise and praise and for the victory. Oh, the weapons we use are not bombs and guns, but it's worship the way that the battle is won. This is the way we fight. Praise and praise and for the victory. Lift up your voice. Lift up your voice and sing for joy. Clap your hands. Make a joyful noise. Blow. 
Worship is the way that the battle is won. This is the way we fight. We're praising for the victory. Lift up your voice. Lift up your voice and sing for joy. Clap your hands and make a joyful noise. Blow the trumpet and shout. Come on, you gotta blow your own trumpet. You gotta lift up your own voice. This is the way we fight. Praise and for the victory. Lift up your voice and sing for joy. Clap your hands with joyful noise. Blow the trumpet and shout. Worship is the way that the battle is won. This is the way we fight. We're praising for the victory. I can't stop. I can't stop. Praising his name, I just can't stop. Praising his name, I just won't stop. Praising his name, Jesus.
Jesus. God just spoke to me. He said, what some of my people need is a Holy Ghost defibrillator. You need to put the pants on their chest and push that button because they need to be awakened. They need to be revived. They need to be brought back to life. And if it wasn't for social distancing, I'd come and lay hands on some of you right now. If it wasn't for COVID-19, I'd invite you to the altar. We could jumpstart your faith. We could jumpstart your Holy Ghost. We could jumpstart your prayer life because that's what God said you need. Hallelujah. If you need a jumpstart in the Holy Ghost, put your hands, put both your hands on your chest. If nothing else, it'll show God, come on, God, I want it. Come on, God, I need it. Come on, God, give it to me. Come on, God, do it. Come on, God, push that button. Come on, God, wake me up. Come on, God, bring me back to life. Bring my prayer life back to life. Ha, ha, hallelujah. Come on, let God know. I want in on this. I want a part of this. In the name of Jesus. Holy Ghost, 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 Holy Ghost. Send the rain right now. Come on, send the fire right now. My God, Jesus, send the wind right now. Hey, Jesus. Hey, Jesus. Come on, you gotta save yourself. your own battles. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, there is a renewing in this place for everybody that wants it. Everybody that wants a renewing in the Holy Ghost. It's here right now. Jesus
Why should we shout? Because we can. <laughs> because we can. Because there isn't anything the devil can do to stop it. <laughs> Woo! Hey, hey, hey. Try to stop this devil. Try to shut this down, devil. Hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He's coming back for a people have made themselves ready. <laughs> you may not be able to change your circumstances or situation, but you can determine who you're going to be when you go through that stuff. Praise God. Praise God. I want you to look around right now and see somebody that's not here. And I want you to call them this afternoon. Say, so what do I tell them? You tell them the bishop said, get your carcass to the house of God. Because if you think staying home is going to save you, you're wrong. Get your carcass. If you don't know what that word is, look it up in the dictionary. Get your carcass to the house of God. Tuesday night prayer meeting, 7 o'clock. Last Tuesday night was one of the most unusual prayer meetings I have ever been in in 46 years. And on the way home from church, John Moromano had an accident on the way. And on the way home from church, it was only God that saved us from very, very serious accident or death. I mean, we come so close to being T-boned, it wasn't even funny. Only by the hand of God, you better get on board, church. You better get on board, brother and sister. Praise God. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Don't forget the offering pans in the middle aisle. At a distance, encourage somebody. Yell it to them. Be encouraged in the Lord.